Hello and welcome to Casual Krakoa. Hey everybody, I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Thanks for joining today. If you can hear me here on the live stream, let me know as I check audio levels and all that fun stuff. Let's make sure video and audio are working before we get started. Uh, and hey, welcome back if you're here. If you were here with me last week on my very special... <laughs> camera-free vacation cast. Uh, thank you for being one of the few, the proud, the loyal, casual Krakoans. Uh, your loyalty is not forgotten. But here we are back with the proper visuals, as I'm sure you've all come to expect. Let's talk X-Lives of Wolverine number five. It is the only X-Men comic that came out today. And then, because this comic is going to lend itself to a fairly short conversation... <laughs> We will also talk a little bit about what's coming in Judgment Day. This is an Avengers Eternals X-Men event. It is the first official Krakoa-era X-Men event that spans the full Marvel Universe. Okay, and uh, and we're going to talk about kind of what's coming. Marvel's teasing some some big stuff. Uh, what does it mean? Karen Gillan's writing it. He's going to be writing Mortal X-Men. What is all going to come in Judgment Day, an event that I have uh, a decently confident uh, levels that it's going to be solid for, for a Marvel event, right? So let's talk about that. Um, everybody here is saying audio is working. Okay, great. Thanks to those of you who are joining live. Uh, again, get in your questions, get in your comments in the chat. Only thing I ask is that you be polite and respectful to those around you, and we'll have a fun time. But again, seriously, get in as many questions as you can, because there might be a lot to talk about. Uh, no bedspread today. Sorry, I'm back to the standing room only uh, in front of my Secret Wars Wall of Fame here, in front of my stilt man. Uh, there behind me, there we go, with Mjolnir. Uh, we are going to do uh, that visual scene from now on, let's see. We're seeing a question here from Bill. Good question. Will we have a post-game show next week with Ernie Inverno? Um, Ernie being blurred without fear. Um, you know, I hadn't scheduled it because I haven't been that hooked on this event like we've been talking about, but X-Deaths might warrant it. I, I think it's kind of a TBD depending on the content. I'll, I'll see their availability. Um, but yeah, that's probably a good idea. Like, maybe we should try that. But all right, let's get into it, okay? Hey, everybody, I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. Great website, great website. You should check it out for all your reading order needs, for all your reading needs. We put up one great essay every day. One great essay every day, all the reading order needs, all the guides you could ever want to get into comics. That's what Comic Book Herald is all about. Uh, and I'm Dave. I run it. I'm founder. I'm editor-in-chief. Uh, and of course, I'm here on the YouTube live streams on the Comic Book Herald channel. If you like it, please like, subscribe, share, all that fun stuff, comment, all these things. So the algo picks it up and says, hey, this channel is doing stuff. They're doing stuff occasionally. Um, that uh, That is appreciated. Okay, so thanks to all of you who do that. The Super Chat is open. If you want to get your question prioritized uh, and donate to Comic Girl at the same time, um, first off, thank you. And second off, I will prioritize all of those. So, okay. Let's look at X Lives of Wolverine number five. This is the conclusion of the series. This is the penultimate issue of the X Lives, X Deaths 10-week crossover experience written by Benjamin Percy, art here by Joshua Cassara and Frank Martin. On colors, oof, oof. this one was a bomb. It was a bomb. Uh, this, this issue uh, stinks, <laughs> okay? And it stinks in the sense of it is perfectly average. It is perfectly average and tremendously mundane, and it goes out the way X Lives of Wolverine number one started, which was perfectly average and exceptionally mundane, 
okay, goes out with a whimper. We had five issues here of a massive, massive Wolverine crossing through time story um, to prevent the assassination of Professor X through time. Omega Red was stabbed in the heart by the Cerebro Sword by Mikhail Rasputin intentionally. Somehow the combination of the Cerebro Sword plus Mikhail's very vague reality warping powers uh, made it so that Omega Red could travel through time, possess anyone, try to assassinate all of the Xavier lineage, but very conveniently, only the Professor Xavier lineage within the timeline that, uh, within the time frame that Logan Wolverine had also been alive, right? <laughs> like, like, listen, I don't generally care to point out plot holes unless it's something that I'm not that into anyway. Why not go back to literally any point before Wolverine existed once you realized the X-Men's ploy to stop you <laughs> was to send Wolverine back to timelines where Wolverine existed, right? Like, super, super convenient <laughs> to not use any, like, like Professor Xavier's great-great-great-grandfather. How about we hop it back one more timeline, okay? No, not doing that. Um, regardless, it's just like, it's all just very simple and very solid. I, I do not enjoy it as an event. And I think, listen, here's the thing. I was right. <laughs> Like, of course I was, but I was right when I said in X-Lives of Wolverine number one, this is a very disappointing kickoff to this event. It needs to be doing bigger things. It needs to sell its purpose as this transitory period between the Hickman era of X-Men and what comes next in the destiny of X. And X-Lives of Wolverine, taken as a five-issue unit, never does that. It never, ever does it. By the end of this, too, nothing happens. Like, yes, things happen, technically, right? All stories, things happen. Nothing changes, nothing significant. Even within the Percyverse, okay? Which, again, X-Lives of Wolverine is just the next five issues of X-Force and Wolverine, right? It is the continuation of Ben Percy's run on X-Force and Wolverine, which has its merits. It has its merits. There are definitely fans, and there's a lot of, like, criticism that I respect around it. But it, it's just a continuation of that, and even within that context, what actually changes here, right? What actually is big and momentous, okay? Wolverine gets back the Cerebro Sword from Mikhail Rasputin. So their big play, the, the they've had the Cerebro Sword. They finally make their big play. It was to go back in time and kill Professor X. That didn't work, right? Professor X is fine. We saw at the end of X-Lives number four, okay, the big moment of Wolverine stabbing him, and that's how it ends. And I, I guess it just, like, poked his shoulder. <laughs> like, like, it's just a flesh wound. Professor X is totally fine throughout this entire issue. There is not a single moment of actually worrying about anything to do with this character, even on an island where they can be resurrected because they're basically immortal. There is not a single moment of concern. I don't even know that Professor X was bleeding. <laughs> like, dude was fine, okay? So there's no fear. There's no concern. They get the Cerebro Sword back. Ultimately, so what? So what? Like, it was used for something that ultimately failed. It was pretty uninteresting. And then the worst thing about this, the thing that bothers me the most by far is that Percy does the thing that he's been doing throughout X-Force and Wolverine. He just kicks the can down the road. He just kicks the can down the road instead of having the confrontation with Mikhail Rasputin, okay, and what his plans are within Russia, right, and, and against Krakoa and all the stuff that's going on. He just kicks the can down the road, and he says, oh, we'll deal with that later. We've been dealing with that for two-plus years. That's all this run has been building to, okay? I don't love it. I don't love it. If that's not clear, uh, it definitely bothered me, I think, in all the wrong ways. Um, 
Let's see in the comment here. Is it just me or does Dave look amazing right now? It's not just you. It is not just you. Um, got a little sun. The beard's looking fine, right? Uh, showered last night. Things are things are going my way. Things are going my way in these tough times. Uh, but yeah, X Lies Wolverine number five was not for me. I saw a comment here from Bergtown early said Hickman would have dropped the entire X Live story as a data dump, <laughs> which is very funny. It's also probably true. It's also probably true. Was there a good story to be told here? Maybe, maybe like conceptually, there's some big stuff going on here, right? There's some big stuff. Um, you know, Ben Percy in interviews leading up to this, right? You got to hype, hype up your story. No fault there, right? No blame. Wanted to tell the best Wolverine story of all time. Wanted to tell the biggest Wolverine story of all time. Says, okay, we're going to time travel back to all these different moments in Wolverine's life. Did we actually spend time there? Did we actually feel out any of that? Did any of those moments get their due in a way that felt like they were building on the success of those past stories? I don't think they did. I really don't think they did. Like, and in terms of like, did we tell the best Wolverine story of all time? Nope. Like that wasn't going to happen anyway right? Barry Windsor Smith's Weapon X exists. That wasn't going to happen anyway, but way short, way short of the mark. I mean, this is one of truly my least favorite comics. It's going to be one of my least favorite comics of the year. And the X-Men comics take an unfair burden <laughs> on that front because I get, I build up higher expectations for them, right? I build up higher expectations. It's why I'm so critical of Fallen Angels as the Dawn of X kickoff books, because all those books had a chance to be something so special. And that one fell apart for me. So I'm so critical of X-Corp, the five-issue mini written by Teeny Howard, you know, because it's a part of something that I love. It's a part of something great. Like, that's where the criticism and the quote-unquote hate comes from, you know? Like, and if you watch me for any period of time, I'm not one of these uh, comics enthusiasts who profits on rage and hate. It's not my thing. I like comics a lot. That's where the criticism comes from, Okay. Um, the criticism comes from a place of wanting them to be better, of, of you know, and, and that can get twisted and manipulated, but, like, that's genuine, okay? Um, again, X Deaths of Wolverine, the other half of this miniseries, it is definitely way more interesting. Definitely way more interesting. Um, it, it's It's got a lot going on. <laughs> X Deaths number four was the first issue where I was like, well, this isn't really working anymore, but there's still a lot going on. We're moving the ball down the field, right? Like, we're, like we have a plan and we're moving towards it. And I'm here for that part of it. Okay. I'm here for that part of it. Um, X lives. I, I don't, it never felt like it had a plan. It never felt like it was really moving towards anything. And now that we're here at the end, it didn't, it didn't move towards anything. You know what else I was right about? Tell us Dave, we'd love to hear. Well, the other thing I was right about is that this did not integrate with X of Wolverine. This did not cross over in any meaningful way. It did not build up a story that is, oh my gosh, I can't believe these parts are coming together and oh, look how it's connected. Didn't do that at all, okay? At all, right? And I am right again versus the, oh, you just gotta be patient. You just gotta wait and see, man, crowd, because these books do not integrate. A last page saying, oh, by the way, X Deaths of Wolverine is also happening. That's not successful story integration. That's a lazy tease to get you to buy the next issue. Okay, these stories did not come together. They did not come together. Um, and that's disappointing. I mean, that's a bummer, right? Like, why would they not? <laughs> they were teased as part of the same story. They're kind of totally different. They just have happen to be happening um, uh, concurrently. That's it. That's all there is to it, right? Like the events of X Lives Wolverine do not matter. 
for the events of X Deaths of Wolverine, which again is just a Moira miniseries. You know? Like, perfect world. Perfect world. Forget the sales of, of billing this as an event, which is obviously, presumably Marvel has done the math and these things work. Um, th these issues are just Wolverine, whatever we're on now, 20 through 25. X-Lives is just Wolverine 20 through 25. And then x Deaths of Wolverine would have just been Moira 1 to 5. Perfect world. That's what this is. You know? And I think probably then... We're le I'm less critical, maybe, of this, and it's kind of just, it becomes more forgettable because I'm not that invested in what's happening with Wolverine and X-Force. You know, it's more of a passive kind of, okay, I'll check it out occasionally, what's going on. And, and I just... I've... I, I came in with an open mind. I came in with skepticism, but an open mind that X-Lives could exceed expectations, right? That Benjamin Percy could come in and knock a follow-up to House of X and Powers of Ten out of the park. I wanted that to happen. It has not. And I think at this point, we really have to look at this and say, I, I definitely have to look at it and say, and say, okay, X-Force and, and Wolverine are not going to be books that are ever exceptional. It's not going to happen. Now, if you're already loving those books, great. Those are for you. Awesome. Glad you're digging it. Like, keep enjoying the experience. I'm not going to try to take that away from you. But for me... Those books are not hitting highs, and they will not. This is the this is the peak. This is the pinnacle. This is the best they can do. Um, so that that for me is not enough. That for me is not good enough. Um, I'm seeing I did so much coke earlier here in the comments. I that might did that help? <laughs> did you like X Lives of Wolverine more due to that experience? Um, you know what? And I will like credit where it's due. I love Kassar and Martin on art. Okay, I love the all-out throwdown visuals between Omega Red and Wolverine. Um, I really like the use of breaking up different size panels and, and these cuts and these these zoom-ins to different angles and um, aspects of the fight. You know, it's kind of almost David Aha-like, right? And all sorts of different manga artists. You know, that piece of it was cool. I just feel like Kassar and Martin were badly underutilized on this book. They were just badly under, underutilized on a disappointing narrative frankly. But again, I don't, I don't want to just wallow in negativity. Like I want to hear people who were reading this and have more investment in it. What did you like? Um, what worked for you? Uh, why am I wrong? These sorts of things, right? Definitely get those thoughts in, in the comments. Um, I do want to hear, you know, different, different perspectives and different thoughts on what's going on here. But I just like, I, I don't know, like it just was, I kind of couldn't believe that this was the last issue of this book. And it was just like, it was just wrapping it up in the most basic possible way. Like where X deaths is taking these big wild swings and whether they're working or not, right, is up for debate, but it's taking big, crazy swings. And then X lives is like the most straightforward thing. It is just absolutely the most straightforward thing. Every piece of it is the most predictable. It is the most predictable it could possibly be. Um, and again, the fact that it doesn't even really resolve the bigger stuff going on it, the only thing that you could say is resolved here is the mystery of the Cerebro Sword and those plans. I guess that's back in the hands of the X-Men now, which, like, they gave it up fairly easily in the first place. So I don't know. I don't really know what that does, aside from it's cool. <laughs> like, like, literally, that is the benefit of the Cerebro Sword. Cool. That's it. Um, and then Omega Red is killed here, likely not to be resurrected by Krakoa, although... I don't know that for sure. Like, that's a conversation, I guess. And, uh, you know, here's another piece, too. Like, 
Omega's off the board for a minute. Okay. What about the flippin' Dracula thread? <laughs> like, what about the fact that Omega Red is an agent of the vampires of the Marvel Universe? Didn't come up here. <laughs> like, what are we doing with that? That's just out there. I, I just, it didn't, it didn't do it. It didn't resolve enough. It didn't touch on enough that was going on. Um, and it's just very, very straightforward in, in, I think, very disappointing ways. So those are my X-Lives Wolverine thoughts. Again, I, I did not have much to say. Um, but let's, let's see some questions. Let's see some thoughts here and I'll, I'll address, of course, anything that comes in. You know, I'm seeing the, I've seen this couple points, like, you know, we need to exchange the editorial I'm seeing here from subject here. Um, I don't, I don't blame editorial groups at Marvel for a lot of things, frankly. Um, but definitely not for like wanting to eventize stuff. Right. Like that is that's a company wide thing. That is a Marvel practice that they they would need someone from the top. Like you would need an editor in chief to come in and not impersonate a fake Asian person. <laughs> Step one, uh, Google C.B. Sabalski and Akira Yoshida, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but they would need somebody to come in from the top and be like, hey, goal number one. Right. Fewer events. We're going to do one event a year. Um, we're not going to continue to manipulate sales by doing that sort of thing. We're going to give you great comics. Like, that would have to be part of the philosophy of the editorial line. And I don't even know if the editor-in-chief is the person to make that decision. It's probably the editor-in-chief. It's probably the publisher. Then you got higher-ups in the Disney corporate ladder, right? You got Kevin Feige sitting somewhere up there. I don't think he cares whether they're publishing events or not, but I don't know what that relationship is, right? But you'd have to have it from the top down. I don't think at the group level the blame can be laid on the editors who are like responsibilities are tell good stories, get them out on time, get everyone to do their work, right? Like those are the main focuses. And obviously there are more responsibilities that I don't know because I don't do it. Um, and and, and it, with any job in the comics industry, it is hard to make good comics. Like it is a miracle when things come out and they're good <laughs> in any artistic industry, right? It is a miracle when things get done with so many different moving parts and pieces and they are really good. That's why we celebrate the special good stuff right? It is a miracle when it all comes together. Um, it is a hard job. Uh, I, I have no reservations about that. In terms of like the direction of Krakoa, I mean, I don't think it's just the editors. I don't think you can put the blame there at all because the writers are all on board with this sort of movement to keep Krakoa. It's why we're in this post-Hickman era that we're in, right? Is, is too many of these creators are like, no, I want to play in this playground that you set up for a bit, you know? Like that's, so it's like, it's a whole <laughs> team effort if you're down on it. And I think, you know, the thing here is like the highs aren't as high as I thought they were going to be. And that's a bummer. Um, but if you actually look at what's happening here in the X-Men line, again, and compare it to X-Men comics historically, again, it's like they're the best they've ever been. And you have them, you have the most potential and you still have the highest highs of what they can be. I mean, it's one thing I was thinking about with, you know, the Percy experience on this event. And I was kind of, basically this for me was like a litmus test for like, do I trust Percy to potentially be writing any of my favorite Marvel books? And, the re and after this X-Lives, it's like, no, I don't. It's just, that's, is not for me. Um, but who are the creators for me who can deliver that level of like, oh, this is an excellent X-Men run? Who are the creators currently around who can do that? Um, and if you look at the X-Office, there's a fair amount of them. There is a fair amount of them, right? Like right now, I got Kieran Gillen, Al Ewing, Vida Allen Rodriguez already doing it on New Mutants, Right. Uh, if Zeb Wells ever came back, he'd be in the conversation. Victor, uh, Victor Laval on Sabretooth, already doing it. 
right? So you got names in that group that are doing it. Steve Orlando has that potential. Steve Orlando has that potential on Marauders, right? Did it on Midnighter, has done it on other good comics. So there's a lot of potential there right now in the X office for writers that can deliver at a very high level, um, which is great. Like, like, again, historically, go back, look at the X office, look at the writers that would have been around and involved at various points in X-Men history, uh, and good luck getting to five or six like that. You know, good luck getting to five or six like that. Or even if you do, right, in, in terms of, like, if you run it back to, like, Messiah Complex era, when you start getting names like Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction around, were they actually delivering knockout X-Men stuff? No. Some of their worst stuff. Um, and I say that knowing their good stuff is amazing, <laughs> right? Uh, so, you know, it's certain creators are built for it. Certain certain creators are going to hit. Uh, but I But I don't think... It, it looks worse for the X office, probably, if you're following them closely, because now we've had Trial of Magneto, and then hot on the heels, we get X Lives of Wolverine. Um, and these are both events that were clearly continuations of series. Um, and it's kind of, it's happening right now if you if you follow Daredevil, right? Like Devil's Reign is a continuation of the Chip Zdarsky, Mark Ricciketto Daredevil run. It's just now it's eventized and it's across the Marvel Universe. You know, I just tweeted this out the other day, but it's like, if Devil's Reign was just a continuation of Daredevil everybody would be saying, hey, this Daredevil run's great. Look at this really cool story they're doing. Instead, it's an event, and I don't hear any buzz about it at all, okay? And case study one, right? It's just me. Um, but I don't hear people talking about it, you know? And it's still, like, similar caliber quality <laughs> as the stuff they've been doing, and it fits in the narrative. You know, it's reasonably well done. Uh, it's just when it gets that event tag, sort of the buzz and the perception kind of die out, but the sales are probably fine. Right, which which at the end of the day is what Marvel's looking at. So yeah, it's a tricky thing, um, but I but I would not necessarily roundly blame lay blame like that because there's there's a lot of parties involved, um, and you know there's a lot of moving pieces. It's rarely as obvious as it seems, frankly. Um, let's see. So okay. So, you know, I'm seeing here, I can only imagine the story that Higman would have wrote with these plot threads and feel disappointed. Um, yeah, I mean, again, you know, you say this every week, but it's sunk cost, right? It's a sunk cost. Like, we're not we're not getting that back. This is what we are. Um, this is what economics are going to be. And you either decide to hang around and see what other people can do with the stuff or or not. You know, it, it, is, it is kind of the nature of shared superhero comics, right, in a lot of ways. It just got expediated. You know, it just got rushed, I think, a bit because the hope and the expectation was Hickman would be around for longer. But, like, the story of the Marvel Universe, you know, the history of the comics is creators come in and they do a thing and then they leave that playground for other people to play on, potentially. Right? Like, Frank Miller comes in, writes the best Daredevil run of all time, and then it's up to Anna Senti to come in and say, what can I do? What can I do with what was left behind? Right? And, and can I put together a great run with John Romita Jr.? You know? It's like, that is the, that is the story of of marvel comics um and hickman was like very like purposeful i think in a way that typically creators are not in terms of like i am setting up a thing for other people to take i've done this before i know this job i know this drill i know i'm setting up a thing for other people to take to a destination in whatever way they want to or can um and it's totally reasonable to be disappointed that it's not that creator's voice specifically because that creator has a very unique interesting voice um it's obviously one i'm a fan of but yeah, you know, it's like, it's, it's, this was, this was a bust. This was definitely a bust. Um, again, it'll go down as one of my most disappointing series just because it's like, it's, 
the expectations were high. Like I wanted it to be awesome and it's not, but we got XS number five next week and we'll see if that can <laughs> deliver again. Just, I don't expect it to like round out everything in a really like wholesome, <laughs> like tight way. That's just not what this event is, but I do hope it continues taking crazy wild swings that make us say, oh wow, like this is okay. I didn't see that coming. This sets up the Destiny of X in some interesting ways. Um, and then we're moving towards something uh, big and wild and fun. And, it, and again, just like X-Deaths, the main thing X-Deaths needs to do is say, here's the playground. It's bigger than you thought it was. We're going to go do some really wild stuff. Okay, because it's it's gotten lost, frankly, in the X-Lives and X-Deaths conversations that like the teases for Destiny of X, you know, are like Destiny viewing like three different timeline type stuff, right? Different possible futures. And all the characters existing in those, like that is not in X-Lives and X-Deaths. Is that something that's going to come out of X-Deaths number five? Um, if it doesn't, that's going to feel disappointing, I think. Some version of that, right? It doesn't have to be what we thought it was, but some version of something different, I think, would be would be exciting. So, I'm again, like I'm, as I have been throughout this, way more excited about next week um, than I ever was going into this week, and we'll see if X-Deaths number five can stick the landing, and just in terms of like, big, crazy ideas, not in terms of being like an amazing miniseries, um, but in terms of being a big, wild Myra miniseries, sure, yeah, that's possible. So, all right, I'm gonna take a quick break here, uh, get in any questions you want, and then we're gonna talk about Judgment Day, the big Marvel event coming in 2022, which speaking of <laughs> X-Men getting eventized, uh, it's gonna happen bigger than it ever has before this summer. Uh, I'm seeing here, you know, X-Deaths was better, but that scene where Moira was wearing Banshee's skin was really weird. <laughs> it was, that was the number one weird thing in X-Men comics. I think probably this entire era, right? Like, can you name something weirder, something stranger that happened in X-Men comics in the Krakoa era, aside from Moira <laughs> wearing Banshee's skin? I mean, I joked about this last week, but like, that was nuts. Like, that was absolutely bonkers. I cracked up, but it, like in all the wrong ways. Like, not in, like, not like because it's actually funny, but because it's so edgelord ridiculous. Um, and just like, we're so over the top now with Moira going full on supervillain. I, I doubt, if you can name anything stranger that has happened in the Krakoa era of X-Men comics, I will be genuinely impressed. I will be genuinely, genuinely impressed. That would be pretty incredible. Uh, I'm seeing here from James says, you still haven't given your thoughts on Sabretooth number two. That's right. So that came out last week. Um, yeah, this book's awesome. Like Sabretooth is great. It's one of my favorite books of the year for sure. Not just X-Men, just comics, period. Um, I am, I've been saying Victor Laval is going to crush it. I am absolutely confident that is going to continue to be the case. It's a really interesting comic. Um, it is doing interesting things with the premise of Sabretooth tossed into the pit at the end of House and Powers. You know, it feels like a thing that looks at, okay, what are the seeds that were planted in this formative launching of, of Krakoa and what can we do with them? And it is actually telling a really interesting story with things to say um, that are important and relevant and, and, and has a perspective, but also is having fun at it. Um, I didn't think SU2 was, you know, as good as issue one, certainly. Uh, I, I actually, you know, I tweeted about this too, but it's like, uh, so Leonard Kirk is the artist on this. There were a ton of panels <laughs> where characters just did not have faces 
And this is something that happens in comics every now and again, right? Certain artists will be like, background characters, I do not need to design their face. It would look weirder if I do, if I just do like a line and dashes, whatever. But like it kept happening to the point of distraction. I wasn't even reading in like panel by panel mode, right? If like if you're on digital and you're reading in panel by panel mode, you tend to pick up on certain like, you know, shortcuts that artists use, I think in a way that can be very distracting. Um, and often I, I tend to think like, well, that's not necessarily a really fair way to evaluate this artist because they aren't drawing for that read necessarily. Um, or even if they are, like you consider the time constraints and what the what the focus of the panel is supposed to be, what the focus of the page is supposed to be. But in this comic, like it kept happening to the point of severe distraction. And there were instances where it was the individuals who were talking and the individuals who were acting and they just had no face. <laughs> and none of these characters are Vic Sage. None of these characters are the question. Um, I was very, <laughs> I was very taken out of it by that, okay? Again, I'm sure it's because you're trying to get the comic out on time and you're just like, all right, I just, you know, that's not that important in the grand scheme of things. But uh, it's kind of weird and kind of a bummer when you're reading it live. Um, is it the most important thing about that comic? No, <laughs> not at all. But it's the thing that jumped out at me and just whatever headspace I was in. Um, Third Eye is a really interesting new character. I, I like what's going on there. Um, let's see. What else do we got in terms of questions? Uh, yeah, I mean, otherwise, though, Saber 2 is awesome. Like, keep reading it. Um, it's So I think it's been i don't know if this is like public but it, i thought initially it was publicized as a five issue mini and then in one of the interviews that victor laval did it was like um it's gonna be part of a triptych which is you know three it's like you know three mini series basically so like my hope is it's Sabretooth, then it's going to be Sabretooth and the exiles and then i don't even know then i don't even know um but that's my hope is that this launches into some sort of exiles type Sabretooth and this new crew of characters that are with him in this um, Krakoan hell that they get out there and now they're like out in the multiverse as the exiles or they're out in the Krakow era, you know, Marvel Universe, whatever, whatever it has to be. I think that'd be super fun. Um, I figured, think Victor LeBaul would be amazing at that. Um, and, you know, it's a good book. It's well worth reading. So those are my thoughts on Sabretooth number two. Let's see, do we have any other questions here? Okay. Uh, Dave, do you really think that Judgment Day is going to turn mutants into deviants? I don't know how I feel about that. I would much rather the writers invested in Amenth Araka. Okay, so Judgment Day is the big event coming from Karen Gillan and Valeria Sheedy. It's going to be out this summer. Uh, it is a crossover between what's going on in Avengers, what's going on in the Karen Gillan written Eternals run, and of course X-Men. And what has been teased and was teased again today is the Eternals, so their mission, the Eternals mission, the prime directive, Hunt, and destroy deviants. Deviants have always been their own thing. What they're teasing now is that mutations, mutants, are basically an extension of deviants. Basically that deviants are like, that that mutants and deviants are almost one and the same if you trace it back to like their beginnings. Um, and that the Eternals may show up to, okay, are they going to exterminate the X-Men? Are they going to wipe out all of Krakoa, right? Like these are the threads that are being teased for what this event could be. Um, and, I, and when I talked about this previously, like, I don't love that idea in terms... I, I don't love the Marvel Universe cosmology being shifted and shaped to revolve around the Eternals. Um, because the Eternals have never been that central, I think, in the Marvel Universe. You know, even when Jack Kirby introduces them in the 70s, like, they are almost standalone. Like, they are almost out of continuity uh, but for certain, like, forced things that they have to do to be like, okay, we'll have a guy in a Thing costume because we, we want these series to eventually be usable in the Marvel Universe, you know? 
Um, so on an emotional level, I don't like it. On like a logical, does it make sense for a thread? Like, does it make sense for a plot story? Like, yeah, it does. You know, I mean, why not? Um, it's also, it allows for something interesting, which is Karen Gillan's writing Immortal X-Men. There's going to be. He's writing Eternals. Immortal X-Men can mean two things. It can mean the X-Men are going to live forever now, and it can mean the X-Men have been around, like, forever, right? Like, with Destiny and Mystique, you can tell stories set in distant past. With Wolverine, you can tell stories set in the distant past, um, but there isn't a lot of room. There isn't a lot of wiggle room, especially with Apocalypse off the table, right? And you got Selene, right, as a sort of character who could tie into this. But for telling stories of mutants, like, generations past, you know? Because, like, mutant culture, mutant history is not that long. When you consider, like, the characters and, like, the, the actual rise of, like, a lot of different kinds of mutants, right? And Mr. Sinister has the same sort of thing. Exodus has the same, right? You have all these characters on the council that have these long lives, that have these perspectives. Um, if you open it up and you say, well, Deviants, you know, turned into mutants or whatever the terminology is going to be, you can now run it back potentially even further. I would also not discount, I would also not discount here that this is a lie, <laughs> right? This information is probably going to be conveyed by someone untrustworthy, whether it be Druig or Thanos or any of the other major players, even Cersei, um, in this in this Eternals run. Like, do not discount that this is not going to stick, okay? I would say that. Um, yeah, personally as well, like, I mean, you say here, I would much rather the writers invest in Amantha Rocco. Um, I, I don't think it's a this or that scenario. I, I think I would, I want them to continue to do that as well. Like I want a lot of creators to be playing with that and exploring with that. Um, but I don't think it's going to be this or that necessarily. Like I don't think deviants are going to become a big part of X-Men books. I guess let's put it that way. I would be surprised and, and similarly disappointed if that became true. Um, the interesting thing that that would do is then you'd have wherever deviants are in the Marvel Universe and, you know, Lemuria and these different cities, now suddenly you would have, like, mutant hubs that already exist outside of Krakoa that are separate. And again, it'd be another way where you expand mutants, right? The, the most, like, one of the laws, right? Make more mutants. And you potentially do that through a back channel. But because you already did that with Amanth and Araco, I mean, I'm with you, that, that would that's a better narratively focused, you know, build from Ten of Swords. Um, but it does have potential. It does have potential, I think, as well. So I am, I'm not as off-put by it, I think, as maybe I was initially. Um, again, because, like, it's Karen Gillan, and this Eternals run is awesome. You know, I saw here in the comments, do you need to read Eternals for this event? Yeah, I, I bet you do. Um, and it's good. It's really, and, and here's the thing. I did, I'm not the kind of person who would have, before this run, said, Oh, you got to read Eternals comics. Like, that has never been true. That has not been the case. Now it is. Karen Gillan, Isad Rubich, they're doing a good Eternals run. It brings Thanos in very effectively. It's good stuff. The recommended Marvel comics, some of my favorite over the past couple of years. Um, so, like, it's because of the specific context of the era we're in and the creators working on these titles, there's a lot of potential for Judgment Day to actually be pretty good. And Gillan hasn't really done a proper big event like this you know, before. So we don't know. Does he have the chops to pull it off, right? Certain creators are built for it, right? Certain creators are just good at really big events, but they're rare. They're few and far between, okay? Like Bendis was pretty good 
at events. Whether or not you like the events, he was pretty good at like running an Avengers through events. From 2004 to 2010, the Marvel Universe felt like it had a center. It had a center, and it ran through Avengers, and it ran through the events that Bendis was doing. Or they bring in, you know, other creators, right? And he'd build off Civil War and this and that. Um, Jim Starlin, good at events, right? Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, good stuff. Uh, Jonathan Hickman, obviously, good at events. Certain creators are built for it. Certain creators are not, <laughs> okay? Certain creators never really get a fair shake. Um, but Gillen's getting it here, and because it's, like, you know, basically going to run through his Immortal X-Men, his Eternals, um... He's going to have a lot of control, hopefully, over how good the story is. And I am optimistic about where it could be going, right? I am optimistic about where it could be going. Uh, let's get in some questions. I do have a thought, and this was spurred on by uh, a fan, by a listener, uh, about who is going to show up at the Hellfire Gala. There's going to be an unexpected guest that's been teased in Mortal X-Men. Going to show up at the Hellfire Gala, and that is going to set off Judgment Day. Who is the unexpected guest going to be. I have some thoughts. Okay. What was suggested by at Jays 101 thanks for the suggestion here, the unexpected guest to show up at the Hellfire Gala, none other than Thanos. Okay. This would be the big Marvel Universe kind of spectacle that I think would get the most attention and drive the most readers towards Judgment Day. I've been trying to get Thanos dealing with Krakoa on Krakoa for years. <laughs> I've done videos about it on cracking Krakoa because Thanos is this weird, hybrid, deviant, mutant. Like, he's got a toe in all ponds, right? Like, like you can make a case for Thanos being involved with all these different parties. Um, Eternals makes the most sense, and I'm glad that's where the character has landed uh, for this run specifically. But I like that pick. I like that pick as Thanos showing up as the unexpected guest. My other picks, and and this one I actually think is maybe a little more likely, would be Cersei. Um, maybe with Icarus in tow. Whatever. I don't care if Icarus is there or not. First thing with Cersei. Loves partying. Loves a party. Like, this is like the number one trait of Cersei. And it's not there in the MCU, and that's disappointing. But Cersei loves a party, okay? Comic Cersei. Um, so showing up the Hellfire Gala, I think, would would totally make sense. And then she could say, hey, we're hanging out with the Deviants. And uh, guess what we learned today? Um, you know, hey, mutants, you're Deviants. We get, we, Eternals are going to try to take you out. We got to run, right? And you could have, because like Cersei, Icarus, and all others, they're like, you know, kind of kind of playing their own thing with the Eternals right now. They found out some truths, some hard truths that they don't like about what it means to be an Eternal. Um, so maybe they join up with the mutants. Right? They may not be as antagonistic as as it just being Eternals versus X-Men kind of thing. So I think that can make a lot of sense, right? Um, but it'll, it'll, again, be kind of interesting, and I am tentatively, tentatively excited. I mean, one thing I... And I didn't read it that closely, so they've been announcing the Hellfire Gala coming this June. And they they've been saying, okay, Jerry Duggan's going to be writing, you know, the big 72-page Hellfire Gala event... I don't think it's going to be a big crossover like it was last summer. Like, I think it's just one big comic. And then you have, you know, the other comics kind of um, dealing around that time frame. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe every comic is going to be a part of it. And now that I'm thinking about it from what I was reading, I guess if that's happening in Mortal X-Men, then I guess that is happening during the Hellfire Gala. So never mind. I need to read that email again. Scratch that <laughs> line of thought. I guess the line of thought that I can continue with is... 
I actually think if they did one big Hellfire Gal issue, I'm probably more into that than doing the little mini event crossover thing again. Um, but, you know, it, it, it gives a sense of, of synergy in a mini event. And it does build up, I suppose, um, into, into one thing. Okay, so, all right. Let's see, what else we got? Um, so yeah, like, like grand scheme of things, I think uh, Judgment Day is actually going to be pretty cool. If you're sleeping on this Eternals run, if you're like, there's no way this Eternals run is good, what are they doing with Thanos? Let him play outside of the Eternals. Check it out. Check it out first. That's all I'd say. Read the first six issues. Read that arc. If you're not into it after that, fine. You're not going to be into it. Um, but it's actually really good stuff. It is, it is shockingly good stuff, okay? Uh, so I would definitely, definitely recommend you give that one a look. Um, I'm seeing a comment here, you know, according to Thor comics, Thanos is going to get Thor's hammer, the Infinity Gauntlet type thing. Uh, I, that's a Donny Cates-ism that I don't think is going to come into play here, right? He's not, to my knowledge, involved with this event, at least yet. Um, I don't think that's going to happen here. I don't. That tease is probably for something he has planned within Thor. I think that is going to be pretty disconnected from what Gillen is doing with the character. Um, frankly, I hope it is, because what Gillen is doing with the character is a lot better um, it's a lot more interesting, and I would rather Gillen keep his hands and and hit this creative team's hands on Thanos for basically as long as possible before Cates gets to whatever he has in mind there with the Infinity Gauntlet Mjolnir stuff. That is that's my stance on that. Um, do you think Thanos would lead to fall of the mutants? <sighs> so I mean, I guess that's the other thing, right? Then is like, okay, if we have this Judgment Day deal. And we have the Eternals being led by Thanos, now hunting mutant kind, essentially. Um, does that actually begin to lead to a proper fall of Krakoa and a proper build towards... Because we're, we're in the second age of Krakoa. I don't know if y'all caught that, but like I think that's the next lives and next deaths of Wolverine. Like We are officially in the second age of Krakoa, um, which is really just like a reconfiguration of the council, if you think about it. You know? Um, but but does that actually blow up where we're at? Um, that's interesting. That would that would be good because that would indicate that okay, like the creators wanted to play in Krakoa, but they're not afraid to change the game and to to break things up and have the X Men on their heels more with this nation. They're already on their heels a lot. There's a lot of threats out there, right? That are building. Um, I don't think we're ready for, like, the true fall of the mutants yet, I guess. Or, rather, I am, but I don't think, like, as a, as a reader, but I don't think the storytellers are, you know? Uh, but I like where your head's at. I like where your head's at. Um, are Scott and Emma together? Yeah, like, every everyone's together. <laughs> right? Like, it's all super polyamorous and just, you know, just roll with it. Uh, let's see. What else do we got? I tried to read Kieran's Eternals, but it seemed as if I was missing a lot. I don't want to go back and read the 70s run. Um, hmm. I mean, I suppose a foundation in Eternals does help. Uh, I would not say you need to go back and read the Kirby unless you're having a hard time sleeping. Always works for me. <laughs> um, great art, but come on. Uh Hmm, that's a tough one because there's not that's the thing about Eternals is like there's really not a run I'd be like oh we'll read that one I mean everybody points to the game in John Romita Jr. one from the mid 2000s that's certainly the most modern probably the most accessible frankly if you just want to feel for like 
who are these characters and what are their deals and this and that. Uh, but even that isn't like so directly a build. I don't know. Like they're they're giving you a lot of the information. You know, Eternals is doing data pages. Like it's taking it from Hickman. They're trying to give you info. Uh, but I hear you in terms of it feel like it, like it definitely. It's not holding your hand necessarily um, too much. And I like that about it. I like that about comics, but that's because I've read a lot of them, right? So I, I hear where you're coming from. Um, okay, spoiler comment warning here from Blake. Thanks for the chat. What's the deal with Moira? Okay. Um, is she Omega Sentinel or Phalanx? Well, I have theorized here somewhat recently that she is the Omega Sentinel. Okay. Um, or is going to be. It's very timey-wimey. Uh, I don't... This Moira is not Phalanx. Um, I don't, I don't think there's any reason to believe that. Okay. Uh, the deal, I mean, broadly, is like, she feels scorned by mutant kind. Somewhat rightfully, somewhat not. And has now become their greatest enemy. Or is working to become their greatest enemy. There's a, you know, there is a visual at the end of X Lives, number five, and it shows, okay, Wolverine has gone, Faye Logan has gone full phalanx, and he's fighting the Wolverines, and that's how X Deaths is going to end. There's a visual of, like, Moira, like, dead, it looked like, like, just done for. Maybe she's just, like, imprisoned. Um, that can happen here. Like, Moira can die in this comic, but because she put her artificial consciousness in this sort of Omega Sentinel-y, Nimrod-y thing with that technologist um, can live on in, like, a new robotic form. Like, she is creating sort of an artificial intelligence version of Moira to carry on into the future. So I think the most likely, I think, continuation of, of Moira in this universe is as basically a Sentinel of some kind. Um, and And then... I don't know, she joins up with Orcus or Nimrod or whatever, and I I don't even... It's it's pretty wild stuff <laughs> when you consider how interesting this character was, how interesting her role was with Mutant Kind and Krakoa, and now we're faced with a scenario where it's like, she's a mean robot. <laughs> like That doesn't sound as good as what we had, I have to say. But, like, that's the deal right now. Like, that's that's what's going on with Moira. Um, I don't know if that was succinctly stated, but that's where we're at. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to rehash the theory about her, like, becoming Karima, becoming Omega Sentinel, but I do think it makes sense, based on what's happened in X-Deaths, that, like, we know Moira's going to survive to the future. Um, could she be the one who goes back in time, hacks Karima's body, or whatever, like, um, you know, like, officer, and just takes over as Dice Universe's Omega Sentinel starts Orcus, like, she's secretly the founder this whole time, because then you have this crazy time thing where Moira simultaneously started Krakoa and Orcus, and she's playing both sides, right? Um, it, it would be wild. There's more better rationales to it, you know, that I've talked about previously, um, but I do think that would be kind of fun. I mean, people have pointed out, like, oh, people refer to Omega Sentinel as Karima, a handful of instances, again, you could, like, that could be a lie. That could be a trick that, that Moira is pulling because she doesn't want anybody to know what the real deal is. Um, so there, I think you could, you could do it. You could get around it. Um, and it's Marvel Comics, so when people are like, oh, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Nothing makes sense <laughs> about going back in time and hacking an Omega Sentinel. Like, you can do whatever you want. 
Uh, all right. Question here. I'll take like three more questions and then uh, and then we'll call this puppy. Um, what do you think about X Men ninety two? I am assuming you're talking about the new comic that was announced, not just like the animated series. That is the reason I like X Men because <laughs> those are my thoughts on that one. Um, I I think it'll be really fun. I like Steve Fox a lot. Um, Steve Fox is writing this. I've interviewed him about uh, Cheater Code, a extremely erotic um, queer graphic novel that he wrote. It's very very good. And uh, Steve Fox is really talented. He's the editor on Department of Truth, James Tiny written comics, which has been one of my favorite comics the last couple of years. Um, so I think it's in very good hands. And I, I generally, like when X-Men 92 was a comic previously, I, I didn't really care um, one way or the other. I thought it was fine. You know, I read the Secret Wars tie and stuff, right? And it was fine, but it wasn't a comic that I was ever going to be super invested in. This one, doing the animated series, but as if it was set in the Krakoa era, that's interesting. That's inherently a pretty cool hook. Um, and I'm curious how it would play out, I suppose. I mean, I guess ultimately, like, I would rather just see when the series gets rebooted on Disney Plus that they did that instead. Like, that would be more exciting if they were like, we're going to do the animated series relaunch proper. We're just going to do Krakoa. I think that'd be a lot cooler than reading it in comic form. Um, but, you know, they could put together a pretty pretty fun story. So I'm not like... I guess I'm at the end of the day, I'm just not that eager to read X-Men 92 comics, I suppose. I like when I'm reading X-Men stuff uh, for it to have the integration and the the connectedness of the full Marvel universe, and obviously this lacks that, uh, but I bet it'll be a pretty well-told story. All right. Um, okay, so we'll give like two seconds for more questions. Otherwise, I think we've covered basically everything there was to talk about today. Again, light week, one X comic, and I didn't like it. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Which stories do you think they will adapt for X-Men 97? Well, I mean, what I've, I haven't been following it crazy close, but like, it seems like they're kind of just going to pick up where they left off in the 90s. I suspect that means they're going to pick up probably more 90s related comics. You know, maybe you get some of that Bastion Operation Zero Tolerance type stuff if you go literal 97 publication comics. Um... You could do some Age of Apocalypse stuff, which would be wild and really appreciated, but I'd be a little surprised. Well, that would be amazing. If they go if they go any kind of Age of Apocalypse on X-Men 97, I will lose my mind, and that will be all I'm talking about <laughs> for the rest of the history of, of Casual Krakoa here. Um, what other stories would actually be good for 97? I mean, Onslaught stuff, they obviously never did, right? So, like, the X-Men animated series version of Onslaught is probably the best thing they could do. That totally makes sense in what they built, that you could do a whole big storyline around. Um, I think that would be pretty cool. I think uh, you get Magneto on Genosha, you know, you do the Magneto Rex stuff, right? Um, and then if it's successful, now you're getting in the new X-Men territory, right? And the Morrison and Quietly stuff, uh, which would be pretty cool. So like, I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching. I don't know that it's going to be like, I don't know if they're doing drops, you know, if it's going to be episode every week or whatever. Um, I'll probably binge it. Like, I'll like I'll start watching it, and then I'll probably binge it, you know, as a few more episodes have come out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to want to check that out. You know, that sounds like a perfect treadmill show, right? Like, you hit the treadmill or you pick up your weights or whatever you do to, to stay fit, to stay lean, and uh, and you watch the X-Men animated series. You know, it, it, easy, cheap thing on the background. Um, you know, and it should be fun. Uh, please do God Loves Man Kills. Uh, that would be wild. <laughs> 
yeah, that is interesting. They never touched that, honestly. That's that's probably one of the bigger 90s things they never touched. You know, another, I mean, other stuff they could do with the anime series, right? Like, do the New Mutants proper, right? That'd be cool. Do Generation X, like, if you want to keep it the 90s, right? Introduce young characters coming into the school. Gen X would be amazing for that show. Um, that would be an excellent fit. We just reread Generation X, the Lobdell and Chris Pacello stuff for the My Mother's Year podcast we do, reading from the History of World Comics from its origin to today, and it holds up. Generation X. Uh, so yeah, bring them in. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. All right. Any final questions? What do you think of the X-Men are bigots and traitors for getting away from humans talk people believe? <laughs> That's a big one. Uh, that one I have answered. Uh, all you have to do on youtube.com is search are the X-Men villains. And I have a whole video where I talk about it uh, fluently and in detail, and hopefully with some uh, good thinking, <laughs> which I cannot get to come out of my mouth right now. I mean, just to answer it broadly, in the simplest terms, I think it's nonsense, um, and I think it is wrong-headed thinking to to be buying that. Uh, but I, I, I think it's important to recognize that, like, okay, I get why people think that, Here's why I think it's wrong. So again, I would advise anyone who thinks like, yeah, the X-Men are bigots and they're, they're isolationist and, you know, they're they're doing exactly what they say they don't. I don't think that's true. Um, and I think uh, if you want to hear my thoughts on why, check out Are the X-Men Villains Now video I put together. Um, I, I think hopefully that says what I could say here as well as I'm going to say it. All right. Okay. Thank you for everyone joining. Uh, we have somebody who joined late. Jason joined late. Jason, calling you out. Just now getting on. Do I need to reread or wasn't Wolverine on the slab with Gene and Chuck at the end of Last Deaths of Wolverine issue? Uh, Wolverine was on the slab at the end of Deaths and he stabbed Charlie. If you don't remember that. Uh, and that is where X-Lives picks up from. You know, I, I saw a comment earlier and I didn't comment on it, but it made me laugh. How long were Professor X and Gene standing over Wolverine? Uh, 48 hours? 72 hours? How long were they straight up standing, hovering? How long could you stand? Um, I think my limit's, you know, three to four hours, maybe? <laughs> my feet are really going to hurt. They were standing over Wolverine for 72 hours. I didn't see a chair. I did not see a chair. And Black Tom's dead. He's not creating them a floral chair, right? Plot hole again. Plot holes everywhere, man. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're going to call it. Uh, we'll be back next week talking X-Men comics. With X Deaths Wolverine number five, I'm way more excited to talk about that with you all next week. Come back with questions, thoughts, comments, all that fun stuff. Please like, subscribe, share on the channel here. And as always, enjoy the comics. <laughs>